bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Hello there, and welcome to another episode of Talent Champions. I'm Diana Thomas, and I'm so grateful to be your host. You are in for a treat today with our guest, Trish Holliday. Trish has had a successful career with the state of Tennessee, including seven years as the state's chief learning officer. She has a doctorate of education and prior experiences as a missionary, nonprofit consultant, executive coach, and now as an adjunct professor. Today, she's the founding partner of an HR consultancy business, Holiday Kenny. Welcome, Trish. Thanks for having me. I am excited to be here today and have this conversation with you. I know. We started talking, what was it, like a year and a half ago, and then our schedules were crazy, so I'm thrilled that we were able to make this happen. I know. I feel like it's all come together. The stars have aligned. (laughs) Definitely. Well, our topic today, it's very exciting. It's motivation versus inspiration, creating an engaged culture where employees are inspired to do their best work. But before we get into that topic, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and what brought you to the role that you're in today with our audience. Thank you, Diana. I I just am delighted to be able to share a little bit of my own experiences, some lessons learned, and then to have this really robust conversation around a topic that I think a lot of managers are going to find pretty exciting. I've always loved bringing people together. I I love the idea of creating a place where everybody feels like they matter. And I think that starts with my own personal family. I have two adopted children. My youngest is Puerto Rican. My daughter-in-law is Mexican. My oldest son is a veteran of the Navy. We have six generations in my family with my newest grandson turning one years old in May. So we're just, we're just all excited about that. And my youngest son, when I adopted him, it was a pretty amazing experience when his birth mother handed him to me in the hospital. Uh, One of those moments you just never forget uh, of unconditional love when she had chosen me to be the mother of her baby. And that relationship, as it has blossomed and grown throughout the years, she's been a part of our lives and we've, we've stayed connected And all of this really does wrap around this idea that I firmly believe life is about relationships. And the more we can make people be a part of an environment where they feel accepted and wanted, the more successful everything is. And so I like to transfer all that over to the workplace. And I think about my own professional journey And this idea of always wanting to create an environment where people felt passion and energy around what they were doing. I remember I call this my preparation ground where I was in college and the Dean of Women asked me to be Panhellenic president. And uh, if you know anything about that, you know, my job was to bring all the sororities together and she wanted to create one campus project for all the sororities. And so my job was to bring all the people who thought they were the best, they were the prettiest, they were the smartest, they had the best fraternity relationships or alignments and bring all of that together and say, you know what, what can we do all together? 
put our differences aside and bring together our commonalities and lift each other up as one and achieve something greater than ourselves. Well, from that experience, it was amazing. It was what great training ground. I then, when I graduated from divinity school with my master's in Christian education, I went to the organized church for a few years and then got called into the mission field. And that's where I really began to realize I guess my calling, so to speak, uh, to bring people together interdenominationally in the mission field to serve people with one mission, and that is to help people and, and achieve that goal of, of setting aside all the things that separate us and create a place where people can come and celebrate one unity, one alignment. And so I took that and moved that experience over into the professional world in state government. When I got a phone call to come be a part of an administration back in the early 2000s with Governor Bredesen uh, to help them think about workforce development, creating a different training ground for state employees and to actually start investing in state employees, giving them a chance to better their own professional skill sets. Well, that turned into an amazing, incredible experience where the second administration came in with Governor Haslam. And that's where he had the vision as a businessman to say, you know what, let's take this to even a higher level and create in government, which was unheard of at the time, uh, the chief learning officer role, which the private sector had. But government wasn't experiencing this at the state level where we create one strategy to develop people to create a succession plan and really help government become an employer of choice. So I'm here today with that kind of background coming to the table to say, it's all about making an environment where people feel like they matter. Wow, that was such an incredible overview of your background. And as you were talking about all these different pieces, your family, the church, your missionary work, how you ended up in in government where you really don't hear about chief learning officers, I now better understand just all these experiences and, and how they show up when you just interact with you, your energy, your inclusive nature. You're one of those people after you've talked to you for a few minutes, you feel like, like I feel like I've known you forever now, you know? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. And, and I think being able to create this inclusive environment where everybody feels included and that they matter is such a critical thing for leaders right now. I've done some work with uh, diversity and inclusion and I'm on a national uh, board and I really see this shift for these successful organizations moving from this group of diversity and inclusion leaders owning it for the company to successful leaders, successful companies have to own it, each one of them, each leader, and they're responsible and have to be accountable. And that's what I love this topic and, and making it even more universal across every role that people have. When I was chief learning officer at the state, one of the things that was really important to the administration was that we had one strategy of driving learning, development. And I began to see that the phrase employee engagement they started becoming diluted because people were using it in all different 
ways and, and talking about it and, and talking about how disengaged people were. So the state really became, I think, my laboratory for this topic that we're talking about today, because I realized one of the questions I got asked the most was from managers, Trish, how do I motivate my people? I've got to motivate my team. I'm being asked to motivate my employees. And that really took me down this opportunity, I think, to explore engagement through a different lens. And that's where our topic today really became a big component of how we drove cultural change. And that was through the lens of inspiration and this idea of creating an environment where people matter. Yeah. And, and wow, is this even more important today with everything that's been going on in the world and more people working virtually and needing to feel connected and managers are challenged because they don't always get that face-to-face time. And how do I really get my people uh, inspired, to use your words, to bring their best game to work, to really stay motivated? So maybe let's start with, if you could please define the difference between motivation and inspiration. Yeah, and when we start with this kind of topic, I think it's important to have those definitions because they're the operating definitions of our conversation. And the way I look at inspiration, well, first of all, the dictionary says that the inspiration is the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. When I think about inspiration, I think it's more than engaged employees. So inspired employees take on the persona of an organization and customers hear that, they feel that, they sense it in the interactions they have with employees at any level. Also, if you think about employees taking on the persona of an organization, they actually are living out the commitment of the mission. So inspired employees create around them a different type of energy that causes not just the people, but the organization to strive for greater heights. Now, if we think about motivation, motivation, dictionary uh, definition, the reason or reasons one has for acting or behaving in a particular way, it's the general desire or willingness of someone to do something so we think about motivation and this is what I'm, I'm behaving this way and I have this desire or willingness to behave this way for this end result. So you can hear even in those dictionary definitions a difference, but I look at inspiration as that how inspired employees take on that persona of an organization that drives a deeper interaction level and a deeper commitment. And the motivation, when we think about motivation, it's about the environment. And, you know, there's two types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. And so I want to break that down in our conversation today as we talk about, I'm not sure we it's either or, inspiration or motivation. I think it's inspiration and motivation. So how do we bring those two together and really create that type of environment we're talking about? Yeah, no, I love that. And and maybe just setting the stage a little bit, some background is 
And, and now that you've, you've lived it and now you're consulting with organizations and leaders is what types of activities and investments do you see organizations traditionally employing to motivate their employees or their people? So when, when I work with organizations and, and we do an analysis of you know, what, what you're currently doing, because you always want to start there and you want to look at, at what you're doing to then say, well, what could we be doing? And then you want to close that gap. So if that's the formula, what I typically find is when we're looking at an organization who says, I have a motivated workforce, I'm looking for these particular components. I'm looking to see is the mission of the organization and the roles within the organization, are they aligned? So do people feel connected to the mission in what they're doing in day-to-day activity? Uh, a motivated workforce, I think also there's professional development. So people feel invested in, if you will. There's a sense that their career matters to their leaders. And so there's always this continuous improvement for my own skill development so that I can be more effective in my role. Uh, Another component I see when organizations tell me they have a motivated workforce, that what they've done, investments they made or activities they're doing, is there's real-time feedback. So employees are getting conversation. This is working. This is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for improvement. I really like the way this is happening. Let's try to leverage these strengths. So now all of a sudden there's this two-way conversation between supervisors and employees. And so that is a motivating component for, for a workforce and for employees specifically because they feel like they're being noticed and their, their performance is being evaluated, positive and opportunity for growth. And so it's all mixed in together. And then one final thing that I think I see from not just activity, but really an investment, if you have a motivated workforce, then you're an organization where you have made some investments to appreciate your people. The leadership of the organization has said it's important for us to make sure we're recognizing, we're rewarding, we're appreciating those employees who are serving in in our company. And if those things are in place, those are kind of my checklist that I'm looking for to say, yes, you could say you have a motivated workforce. And I think, you know, working for different companies and interacting with a lot of different leaders, I can see leaders really focusing in on those things uh, to try to produce the highest level results. But maybe from your perspective and, and why you started to get go down this path of inspiration, why do you see those things don't always hit the mark and, and get you the desired results? Yeah, and, and that's that's really where I began in the chief learning officer role, and I call it the laboratory, because that's where I started seeing that's not enough. And this whole idea of, of creating an environment where people can be the best versions of themselves, the company can be the best version of itself, how do you, how do you get to that kind of place? That's where we went beyond motivation. So one of the things I noticed and I mentioned this a little earlier, two types of motivation, intrinsic and extrinsic. Well, extrinsic, you know, you get a salary uh, increase. And then what what happens to all of us? We get get a salary increase and then six months later we're thinking, hmm, 
when can I get that next salary increase? <laughs> so, so it's like, hmm, I'm just, I mean, that was nice, but when can I get a little bit more, right? Nice. So uh, it, it's, it's just that ongoing thought process and it's an extrinsic factor. And so another one might be, let's say I get a promotion and um, okay, now I have more influence. Well, what happens about nine, 12 months later? I start to think, how could I gain more influence and how could I gain more responsibility? And what's that next promotion? And have I hit a ceiling? And so now I begin to think about all these things. And so you see, you get a sense that, all right, these external factors, all they're doing is, is causing us to say, okay, what's next? What's next? Mm -hmm. Let's say I get a corner office. Or now this was a big deal when I first came to state government, I got a window. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Like, yes, you get a window. That is a huge, huge deal. Um, but let's say I had a window. Now I want more windows or let's say I want a bigger. You know, so it's all, it's all those external factors that, that we give um, to employees, but they don't last. And that's the whole point. And so then you go to, okay, intrinsic motivation. That's where, when I get asked a question from a manager, Trish, I got to motivate my people. That's where I come back with, unfortunately, I don't think you can. Because when we talk about intrinsic motivation, that comes from within. So how do we how do we help people draw from their intrinsic motivation? And that's what took us to realize, oh, it's the environment. It's the culture. It's what we're creating that make people want to be a part that then they draw from that self in that intrinsic motivation component of themselves. That's really helpful. Until I talked to you, I really didn't think about dividing it up intrinsic versus extrinsic. And I think there's so much in the news about, you know, when you're looking to be the best organization, here's the benefits and this company's offering this, this and this. And, and like you said, once you give them something, then it's like, what else is next? As right. you were describing that, I was thinking of that childhood book, give a, give a mouse a cookie and then oh, yeah. watch this and that. Yes. <laughs> What's next? What's yeah. next? No, love, love yeah. that distinction. So what are some examples of inspiration at the team level? Let's say between a leader and a direct report, because we do have a lot of leaders listening today. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I think is so relevant is one that you and I are having this conversation right now, especially when so many people are remote from their teams. So they aren't physically uh, in the office with their teams, and how do we really recreate the the environment to where still people can be the best versions of themselves? And inspiration is that cultural driver. So one of the things that I was thinking about in preparation for our conversation today was it does start between the manager and the direct report. That's the heartbeat of the organization, in my opinion. And I've always said that a successful organization, yes, it has to have great leaders, but where they've really got to invest to make it work is in that manager so that that manager can then be all they can be for that employee. And where this comes out with examples of inspiration is when a manager can create a personal relationship with that direct report and take it beyond just the to-do list 
and the post-it notes and the, the metrics on the dashboard and can actually relate to each direct report from a personal perspective. So that, uh, and Ken Blanchard, he coined this back in the day. Like this is one of those timeless uh, lessons learned that I don't think we should ever forget. And that is, we've got to manage by the individual. We cannot manage by the group. And so inspiration, and when you and I are inspiring someone, it happens one-on-one. It happens when I feel like I matter to you and you feel like you matter to me. And that's, that's part of this really gaining a perspective of the whole versus coming in and being so just results driven or metrics focused where people feel like, oh, wait a minute, my whole self doesn't matter. I'm just trying to help them get meet their goals, so to speak. Yeah. And and that really requires, when you say this one-on-one interaction, is for your leaders to get to know your employees a little bit more, a little bit deeper. What do they like doing? What are their values? What are they yeah. good at? What are their hidden talents? And being a little bit more authentic and sharing about yourself. And some of our leaders just aren't that comfortable doing that, but yeah. really can I, pay off. Not, that's right. Uh, as an executive coach, just like you, one of my coachees that I'm working with right now is a high-level executive in an organization. His team is remote, uh, spread out everywhere. Just this past week, we were talking about, you know what, one of the things you could do is reach out. He has about 70 in his whole division. Of course, that's not his direct reports. However, he came up with this idea that you know what, I'd really like to just touch base and see how people are doing just and and not not necessarily, you know, how are you doing on your goals, but this idea of let me just make a quick phone call. And so he has put this plan in place where he's going to call all 70 of his employees just to touch base and say, hey, I wanted to check on you. Just let you know I was thinking about you. Can I help in any way? And I thought, wow, what an amazing example of being inspiring. Yep. That is amazing. No, awesome. So thinking about large companies and and really trying to change cultures and make the cultures more inclusive and create this individual connection, you know, and it's hard. Sometimes leaders have 500 to 700 people and it's hard to do that one-on-one. Um, can inspiration be a company-wide initiative? It truly can be. And I think this is what happened when I was in state government and what we saw actually transforming our state into an employer of choice. And that was that we were creating place where people wanted to be a part of it, couldn't wait to be a part of it, didn't want to miss any part of it. And there were six components, six factors, I guess, that I think if inspiration is to be a company-wide driver for culture, these are the six components I think have to be in place. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. The first one is there has to be a sense of optimism, positivity. People have to think forward versus being a part of those environments where you hear, well, this is the way we've always done it. And, or, or being a part of an environment where people in in the normal day-to-day language, 
people think about, well, a couple years ago, this happened. I don't know about this. Or, you know, I remember when, but when you're a part of an environment that's thinking ahead, that's thinking forward, it creates hope. There's optimism, there's positivity. And in, even in today's times, we as managers have got to provide that kind of forward thinking to our people. And I'm, I'm working on a, a project right now with my partner and it's called Prepare to Pivot. And it's this idea that when you come out of a time of crisis, how do you get ready to pivot? Because pivot is inevitable, but how do you prepare to pivot? And so that means, how are you thinking ahead? How are you thinking about, we can't run business as usual. And so that positivity optimism is critical. That's one. Two, if you really want an inspiring environment, there's a sense of gratefulness among people who work together, a sense of gratefulness that we get to serve the people we serve, a sense of gratefulness that we have the opportunity to create products and services that can meet needs, a sense of gratefulness that you're a part of a company that cares uh, for you as an individual, for the people they serve, for their stockholders at all different levels. All of a sudden, you get a sense when you walk or, or in that environment, wow, people are grateful to be here. So, and that puts on a totally different persona than if I am coming into the environment to say, what are you going to give to me? Right. So, so it, it leaves that idea of what is it in it for me? And now what am I going to give? How am I going to be grateful in this environment? So if that, that is present, all of a sudden you're going to start to see this inspiration emerge. The third component that I think if you're talking company wide, that you really want to look for those individuals who have potential to run uh, areas, run programs, run projects, run teams in the future, uh, that there's this idea of who can we help develop for the future of our business. So I call it potential seeking. We're always looking for people's potential. Now, it goes back to that whole cliche, uh, management by walking around and catching people doing things right. So it again, when you're in an environment where people are celebrating, wow, that was so well done. I think you might really be good in this. Have you ever tried this? Why don't we try our hand at it? Now people are potential seeking. So it changes the way people interact with one another. The fourth component of a culture of inspiration that's really creating this environment where people feel like they matter is inauthenticity. So, and you know, you and I can spot fake a mile away. You see it coming, you, you just, you even know how it walks, right? And you, you listen and you're like, wow, that is so not genuine. But when you're in, in relationship with authentic people who, and in authenticity, you and I can say, wow, I messed up or God, I didn't see that coming. And that was not the right decision. Let me see if I can correct it. Or if I'm owning up to, 
what I've done, my responsibilities, how I'm either impacting positively, or maybe I had a, a moment where I impacted uh, uh, and did something that negatively impacted a, a group or, or a decision that was made. But there's always this idea that, you know what, we can make new mistakes, we can learn from our mistakes, and then we can move forward. And I like that theory. It's called the M&M theory. I usually bring out the M&Ms when we talk about <laughs> because it's this whole idea. If you have an environment where people feel like they can make new mistakes, then they're going to try some things. They're going to experiment. They're going to explore. They want to discover. And in that, maybe, just maybe, they'll land on something that's a big aha for the company. But if that environment is risk averse, slaps people down when they make a mistake, makes people fearful, of making a mistake, you're not going to have an inspired environment. People aren't going to going to want to be a part of that. So the authenticity is you and I are real with each other. And, and we bring ourselves to the table to say, I want to do my best job. I want to try my hardest. And if I mess up, I hope there's grace. I hope there's forgiveness. I hope that we can learn from it and I can grow from it. And, and that, I think, comes in that authenticity piece. Uh, the fifth one that if we really want this culture of inspiration or this environment that we're trying to create as leaders, there's got to be some passion. We've got to have passionate managers. That is managers who don't walk through the door every morning across the threshold and or even online and show up online as here we go again. Let's go, you know, with with this lack of passion for what we're doing, because what I have found is when people are passionate, that's very magnetic. It's very contagious. People want to be around that because guess what? It goes back to that first component of inspiration, which is optimism, positivity, and bringing hope to, uh, to a situation. And goodness gracious, don't we all need hope right now? And then the sixth component that I would offer today, if a company wants to truly have an inspired culture, then they have two-way, up-down, 360 communication. That means that people feel informed, people aren't surprised, people feel that they are receiving information in a transparent way, even if it's not good news, but that leaders are helping them navigate understanding what's going on because we all know this without information we make up our own and then all of a sudden you're going to see people who are making up things because they don't know what is happening so a truly inspired environment people feel informed and connected and are allowed to ask questions and not admonished or told quit being so challenging because it's questions allow us to think through our decisions. And so applauding people who, who ask great questions. John Maxwell wrote that book, Great Leaders Ask Great Questions. I think it's a skill set that every single person at any level of an organization needs to acquire. I agree. And, and what great advice, just great advice in general, but especially now and what's going on in the world 
And I tell you, just talking to you and interacting with you, wow, you role model those. So talk about being passionate and authentic. So thank you for sharing. And for our audience, no worries. We'll make sure that we get you this information so that you can have it. And and if you missed anything, you'll have it from us directly. So what mistakes do you see organizations making that work against inspired employees? Well, I think I think I kind of said a lot of that in a backwards way when I was talking about what how do we create ins- inspiration and inspire others. But I think the biggest thing is when organizations fall into the trap of doing it the way they've always done it mm-hmm. and they don't operate in a lens of continuous improvement, they operate in the status quo and they keep things going or maintaining things versus always trying to improve things. I remember being asked this question a lot by a lot of different people, Trish, when are you all going to quit changing things? (laughs) And and what a great question, right? Because like, you can hear change fatigue right there in that question. And our response was, We're not. We're trying to help folks understand that we've got to learn to rest in change. Because if we do change right, we don't get scared of it. We actually learn to embrace it because we see how it could take us to the next level. But effective change, we know, only happens when people feel informed. All those things that we talked about, positivity, gratefulness, potential seeking, authentic, passionate, and communication, if those exist in change, we can pull through change. It's what we see most organizations leaving out are, are those components. And we think just process and we think just procedure and we forget what else needs to be in there to inspire people to want to change and to want to make things better. Yeah, what a great foundation for change. And so many people are dealing with change and change is going to continue to happen. We've seen change happen so rapidly, this high culture, velocity kind of change one right after another. And I love those tips and the foundation and what you can do. So shifting gears a little bit, I feel like we would just be not doing justice to having you as a guest. If we didn't ask you, what advice do you have to offer our learning leaders from your time as a CLO? Well, there's three things. And you know, this comes back to my ministry background. You got to do everything in threes. My, uh, my three top lessons. One, as a learning leader, there has to be alignment in messaging. Uh, so many times when I'm working with organizations, I'll see them doing a lot of activity. But that doesn't mean things are connected and there's alignment in those activities. So I always say quantity may not be the goal. Quality should be the focus and everything that's done from a learning perspective should be connected to the next thing so that nothing appears random. All the activities, all the programs, all the projects that are invested in to develop people all need to be ultimately connected to one strategy and an alignment of one message. The second thing is that Things have to have strategy 
when learning is just a bunch of different quote topics and learning is just a bunch of trainings you send people to, I don't ever think you truly transform your culture. It's when you take topics and trainings and move them into learning experiences that people really do embrace what they're learning and then change their behavior for the better, which makes ultimately not just themselves, but the company more effective in what it's trying to do. And then finally, one of the things that I think is most important for learning leaders is everything starts at the top. And so if we want to drive a unified learning message that has learning strategy, everything's connected to each other, and we're actually developing people in what's most important for the company, we need to find that information out from the top. We need to sit as learning leaders with our executives and say to our executives, what keeps you up at night regarding the workforce? What do you wish the workforce mastered? What skill sets do you wish that you saw consistently throughout every level of our workforce? And having our executives tell us what skills are most important, that's where we drive learning from. And so now we're creating the, the learning solution based on the executive need. Guess what happens? If that happens, learning doesn't get cut learning is actually seen as a value add, not as a liability or as an expense item. It's actually seen as necessary for us to be the best organization we can be. Wonderful advice. And, and not just for learning leaders. I think every leader that's running a function or trying to ensure that what they're doing really does impact at the highest level is you've got to have that alignment and messaging. Yeah. The strategy yeah. has to be there. And remember, it starts from the top. So get that connection and alignment. So great advice. Cool. So Trish, uh, who's had the greatest impact on your professional life? And why wouldn't you be where you are today without that person's influence? So I'd like to tell a story to close out this, this conversation, because I think through story, we can all relate to each other in such a powerful way. So my youngest son that I told you about that I adopted, uh, his birth mother handed him to me in, in the hospital when he was four hours old. About eight months into his development, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. And he has the physical type of cerebral palsy. It's called right hemiparesis. So the right side of his body is where um, the spasticity is. He calls his right hand his helper hand, his left hand his genius hand. Um, and, and then just the, the early on dialogue with therapists and doctors about not knowing how self-sufficient he might become or, or everything that he could do, just not feeling like there was a lot of hope early on. But spent a lot of time throughout his life assimilating him into the world. He was fully mainstreamed in school. Mentally, he's right there with his, his age group and so typically developing with them. He had found some great friends who embraced him. So he had a pack of guys that he ran with as he grew up and just watched this kid go through life with this determined, I'm going to become all I can become. Uh, approach to, to living. He became an Eagle Scout without any special need accommodations. And here is the kicker. 
he wanted to play basketball and he had played basketball for the Special Olympics and those those different types of um, of associations. But he wanted to play basketball for high school. And he he announced, hey, Ma, I want to try out for basketball. And who am I to say no, even though I'm thinking to myself, okay, how am I going to help him work through this disappointment? Well, he would practice. I would see him out months in advance, just out back on the basketball court at all hours of the day, practicing his, what he calls his sweet shot, which is at the three-point line. And he can catch that ball set up at the three-point line, take that shot, and you'll hear nothing but net. It's a gorgeous sweet shot, right? So he actually tries out for the high school basketball team. He comes home that day. He made it. He said, Ma, I made the team. Well, that night I get a phone call from a mother I'm serving on the PTA with, and she challenges me and says, would you call Coach Thweet and tell Coach Thweet that Garland can't have that spot on the team because my son didn't make it. And my son's been playing basketball ever since he was a a, a wee tot. And so he deserves that seat more than your son does. Now, first of all, you can imagine what that phone call felt like Mm -hmm. uh, to see that on the other end. And so just to say thank you for calling and hang up, because you don't want to say anything else that you're really (laughs) thinking. I do call Coach Threat. I'm like, Coach Threat, you know, if... um, if uh, I need to uh, work with Garland, what, you know, what, what do we need to do? And, and coach is like, uh, first of all, let me tell you, this team needs Garland as much as Garland needs his team. And Garland earned that spot as anyone else did. And he went through and specifically identified how he carefully selected each person who made the team for a particular uh, talent that they had and told us that we were going to go to the state championship because Garland's on our team and we need him. Well, that was amazing. So while you might think I'm talking about Garland as someone who has had a great impact on my professional life, actually, I'm talking about Coach Thweet because Coach Thweet, in that kind of response, showed me that as leaders, when we do what we know is right, And when we are looking for and helping people find their place in an environment where they can feel like they're a contributor and that they matter, great things can occur. So here's what Coach Sweet did. He created what was called the Garland Play. And every day at practice, they would practice the Garland Play for when he might call it in a game. And if he called it in a game, these five boys would know what they needed to do, where they needed to set up, how they needed to run the play. And he would call the Garland play. Garland would go out. The guys would get the ball to Garland. Garland would set up on the three-point line and supposedly take this shot. Well, sure enough, we're at Glencliff High School playing one of our rivals. Coach calls Garland play. The guys go out. Garland goes out. Uh, They set up. Garland gets the ball. Garland takes the shot. Garland makes the shot. And for five seconds in that gymnasium, You couldn't tell who was cheering for what team because everybody was cheering in that moment for to celebrate what was happening in that moment. Well, see, I think the real hero in that moment was Coach Thweet, who said, you know what? Everybody deserves a moment like this. Garland will never forget that moment for his whole life. None of us will. And he created that moment through practice, through giving everybody a role on the team to say everybody 
has a place in my world. And that is who, who's had a powerful impact on my life because that's helped me think, wow, am I creating an environment where everybody knows that I know them and they matter? Wow, such a touching and inspiring story. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, as we get ready to wrap up, I can't believe we're already through our content because there are so many other things I could ask you. We're going to have to bring you back because we can go deeper in every one of these areas. But is there some final piece of advice that you have for our talent champions? So I think what I really hope people have heard from today's conversation with us and and one of the biggest takeaways is inspiration comes from the heart. Inspiration comes from relationships. And when we are in relationship with people, that's when I think we help people shine the most. And if we as talent champions can really create an environment where people love to be a part of that environment, they feel like they contribute, they have a purpose, they um, have a reason to be there, we can inspire their hearts where they become self-motivated to bring their best versions of themselves to the table. So I, one, I love talent champions because I'm one at heart. I believe it's all about the people. That's the greatest asset. And I'm just a cheerleader here and would love to help talent champions take it to the next level um, and, and be here as, as that kind of support system for them. Fabulous. So how can our listeners get in touch with you and continue to learn from you? Well, I hope they will stay connected and get in touch with me, Trish at HolidayKenning.com. And make sure now we we know that Holiday has two L's, like Doc Holiday. You just can't forget that one, right? So, so just remember me, Doc Holiday, two L's in Holiday. And they can go to our website, HolidayKenning.com, see all the different uh, plays that we have in our playbook that can help you from a cultural standpoint, really develop your talent, help your talent reach their potential, help your organization reach its potential and connect strategy and change to what's happening and how we can be most effective. So please reach out. We'd love to talk to folks about how we can help. And you're also on LinkedIn if they wanted to connect. Is that okay? Yep, absolutely. Wonderful. Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, friend, for sharing your experience, your expertise, and your passion with us. Thank you so much. Here's the key summary of today's episode. When it comes to engaging employees, the big question everyone is asking is, how do I motivate my people? Motivation is important, but driving cultural change requires inspiration as well. Motivation is someone's desire or willingness to do something. I behave in a certain way, and I achieve a desired result. It tends to be temporary, When we motivate people through salary, promotions, etc., they're always chasing that next milestone. Inspiration is being mentally stimulated to do or feel something. Inspired employees take on the persona of the organization, and that transfers through to the customer experience. Motivation and inspiration work together. Here are 
are some questions for assessing whether your workforce is motivated. Is the organization's mission aligned with people's roles within the organization? Do people feel connected to the mission in their day-to-day activities? Is the organization investing in people's professional development? Do people sense that their careers matter to their leaders? Is there real-time feedback between employees and leadership to assess what's working? Have you made investments to appreciate your people? Inspiration comes from within, and it's dependent upon the culture and environment of the workplace. It requires an environment where people can be the best versions of themselves. You create that environment by investing in great managers who have strong relationships with their direct reports. Six factors for inspiring a culture where people feel like they matter. One, optimism and positivity. People are thinking forward as opposed to doing things the way they've always done them. Two, gratefulness. People are grateful to work together and serve the customers that they serve. Three, potential seeking. Leaders are looking for people's potential and helping them to do more of what works well. Four, authenticity. People genuinely feel safe making and learning from mistakes. Five, passion. Managers are passionate about what they do, and as a result, people want to be part of the cause. Six, communication. People feel informed, receive information in a transparent way, and are allowed to ask questions and provide feedback. The biggest trap organizations fall into that hampers their culture is doing things the way they've always done them. Instead, operate through a lens of continuous improvement. That being said, change has to be done right to avoid change fatigue. People need to learn how to embrace it by seeing how it takes the organization to the next level. That requires keeping people informed. Trisha's top three lessons for learning leaders. Focus on the quality over quantity of learning experiences and ensure those learning events are all connected to one unifying strategy. Two, you have to have a strategy. A bunch of disconnected training experiences won't transform your culture, but connected learning experiences will. Start from the top is the third one. Find out what top executives are concerned about and pursue those issues. If you create learning based on executive need, it becomes a value add as opposed to a liability or an expense. When leaders do what we know is right and help people find their place, where they can contribute, great things occur. Inspiration comes from relationships. When we have strong relationships with our people, we can help them to shine. In two weeks, we're taking this topic from the opposite side. How do you communicate your value as an individual? Whether you're pursuing goals in your organization, looking for your next role, or even pitching your services, it's critical to communicate the unique value that you deliver. Don't miss this episode. Sign up on our website, 
talent-champions.com to receive an email notification when it's released. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. For more information about today's show, please visit talent-champions.com.